Welcome this morning. Welcome to worship. It's a blessing. And I know sometimes I'll come through these doors and just kind of, it's another Sunday morning. You tend to take it for granted, kind of not realize the blessing that, of the opportunity that we have. And I don't know, I just, I've, uh, I had an opportunity recently just to, I won't really go into it, but to experience once again, as we all have probably at different times, but as you experience or communicate or interact with someone from a totally different culture that doesn't understand um, our way of life, and, and they just don't get it. And it just, and for me, I, their way is almost absurd. So I, maybe I don't get theirs either, but it, I, I'm probably not going to make myself clear. But I think probably you've, you've experienced something similar to where the difference that there is among, just in the way you've been raised and in the culture that you've grown up in. And, and I'm just here to tell you that something that you know that we are highly blessed. Um, as we've been raised in a culture, rural, um, with a lot of common sense, you might say, and most importantly, with the Word of God. And it's a huge blessing, and we are blessed this morning. And I just want to encourage each of you to somehow realize that. And not to take it for granted this week and to realize that sometimes, yes, even in our community, there are those who perhaps have not experienced the gospel or even common sense um, being raised in, in a common sense way, you might say. But, but many parts of the world, we just have no idea um, how they live. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here before we move into Revelation 22. Da uh, Brother David asked us to read Revelation 22 this morning. <coughs> Beginning at verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Have you thought about heaven this week? Let's, let's go on down to verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Are you thirsty this morning? Let's go over to, to chapter 22 now. Verse 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And I don't know how you picture that. I try to. I mean, I think of a cool, refreshing mountain stream, and it's pretty clear, but eh, there's still some contaminants that it seems like as it flows on dirt maybe an animal that died in it or something, you just never know. It's pretty clear. It's about as clear as we get. I think about a chlorinated 
river of water that comes out of our water treatment plants and I don't know, for some reason that doesn't just feel real refreshing to me most of the time. But this here, something about it just sounds really, really refreshing. It sounds really, really life-giving. Clear as crystal for sitting out of the throne of God. And in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I saw, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard them, heard and seen, excuse me, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed these things. Kind of an interesting couple of verses here as he falls down before this angel and, and we see the angel's response. I'm not exactly sure who this angel is or was, but he says to me, See, thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And we'll just stop there this morning. But this morning, if you're thirsty, I, Jesus, he says in verse 16, invite you to come to the water of life. And 
this no doubt is a picture of of the future as we began there in chapter 21 and of heaven someday and yet there is a truth that he does provide the water of life that can bring that refreshing life to your soul and to you today in the midst of this filthy contaminated life that we live in so this morning i just invite you to jump into this spiritual picture i guess you might say of the river of water that is jesus christ and just allow him to cleanse you to wash over you and just i'm i'm interested in our in our topic this morning i look forward to hearing uh, as we do believe that jesus is all about life I'd like to, to ask if there's any prayer requests this morning as we go to prayer. I, Mark and Lisa here? I don't see him this morning. Oh, I don't know how Marcel is doing. I saw her this week and she was pretty, pretty weak and couldn't, couldn't hardly talk. So I don't know where she's at, but we need to keep that family in our prayers. Are there any others? Pray. Yeah. Pray for the upcoming week, weekend. We have a lot of visitors coming in. Uh, pray for the, the meetings, the teaching, and the, the youth, and just everyone involved. Yes. Lou's sister Shirley is really low with her cancer right now. See another hand? Yes. Let's pray for Don this morning. She's not feeling well. Yes. Linda Bauer passed away this week. No doubt there's sorrow, but it was a blessing. She's been yes. Exactly right. We can we can pray for that. We need to just just relax and do what we can do. That's all we got to do. Yeah. Ryan, would you pray for us? Well, I guess was there anything else? I may have. Oh yeah, thought maybe I saw something. Pro-life, pro-choice, I say those words, images, jump and erupt into your heart, don't they? 
words have meaning and power. And in, in our culture, there are constantly culture wars going on. There's issues, in this case, a moral issue. It's also a religious issue. And it's in, but we're not going to talk about abortion today. But those words erupt the whole issue of abortion in our hearts. But that's not even the title today. God is pro-life and pro-choice. <clears throat> you know, those two, the views in the, on the abortion issue, those views are just mutually exclusive from one another. But with God, they're both characteristic of him. The Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. And therefore, the characteristics that define God define us. That you and I are both pro-life and pro-choice. As a God characteristic, not a cultural issue. So we're done talking about the cultural issue. Let's talk about God. That's where we want to be today. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll get to that shortly. <coughs> it is fascinating how so many times in the headlines we see something of a cultural issue and yet we can place it in a God text or God context. Because the things that people are thinking about and caring about and fighting about and are, and are fussing about in the spiritual world, they may not recognize it, but there's a spiritual context to all of those things. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see a very brief summary that gives us an understanding of the rest of the history of the created world. And, it, and also the spiritual conflict that we have and the spiritual battle that we have and the eternal destiny of every person. And all of that is opened up to us in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. First, let's talk about the created world. Because you see there in chapter 1, six days of creation, and I'll call it in staccato simplicity, just one sentence after another ending it, and God saw it was very good. And th that was the first day, and this was the second day, and it was very good on the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. And he very quickly shows us how he created the world. And it tells us there in the opening verse that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you have there in that first verse what we call the space, matter, time, continuum. Those three aspects of the way our physical world was created is in the first verse. Because God took a moment in his eternal presence, he took a moment and he turned a page or he opened something he called time in eternity. And it has a beginning and it will have an end when God takes the time to bring that to an end. And in that time, he created space. And in that space, he put material matter that he called earth there to all of those things of our created world in that opening verse and he goes through and tells us all the different parts of the systems that are there because we see <coughs> in this in this creation we 
have the, the eternal presence of God the Father. It says the Spirit of God in the second verse moves, energized the material world that was in the space in the time that God had created. It talks about the word of God, the voice of God, that is Jesus Christ himself speaking, because he is known later as the word. It says, and the word brought these things into being. And so all of the systems of the mineral world, the chemical world, the energy world, were brought into to being there. And the word of God spoke those things into being. And it tells us in the latter days of the creation that it says, and the word spoke and all of the creatures, all the biological systems, and man and woman were created. And God spoke all of that into the world. So we are a created world, and we are created people. You know, it tells us in a place in Isaiah, you want me to turn to this, but Isaiah 45, 18 says this, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, he hath established it, he created it, not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. That was, the, that was the Lord's plan. Because the Lord is pro-life. He created a place like, unlike anything else that he created. There is no other place that in any universe ever. Now, you know there's a lot of money being spent right now. There's a lot of research being done, a lot of telescopes being built and things being sent to foreign places because they are interested in the number one driving reason for all those millions and trillions and billions of dollars that are being put into it is to find evidence of life. But God created life here, so unique and so special, a place to be inhabited by all that he wanted to have here. And I, I am sure but I'm not God, but I'm sure there is no other place where there's life. But again, people, the things that you read about in the news have a spiritual context. Men are so interested in finding some other place that has life because then you don't have to think about God creating a special place for life. But God is so pro-life that he made it a unique place for you and I and everything that we have, and all the systems that are here, so that life could be here in this place. It tells us about the creation of men, creation of man. It says that God had had a discussion, said, let us make man in our image. And so in the image, in the likeness of God, Adam was formed. It was mentioned this morning in the opening. God's hands took the dust of the ground and formed Adam at that point. And it says that he breathed into the nostrils of Adam, and Adam became a living soul. He breathed the breath of life into Adam because God is pro-life. He breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, and he became a living soul. So people are uniquely created, living, but are different than all of the rest of the biological world. Man became a living soul. It tells us there in the, also in the, in the uh, second chapter there, a little more information about the created garden. It talks about a specific garden that was there, that was in the place, in the area of Eden, there was a garden set aside, a unique place. And he put Adam there 
to dress it and to keep it, and it, there was no need for rain, and a mist came up and watered everything. And when God's <coughs> unique plan for all of that, and there was a river there, and it flowed out of Eden, and there was all kinds of trees. There were trees that were pleasant to look at and trees that were good for food. And there were two trees that are mentioned. Now, this is where we're going to get to the point about God is pro-choice. He describes one tree as the tree of life. God is pro-life. He named a tree after it. One tree is called the tree of life. The other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you have to wonder, why did God put that tree in there? Then another scene unfolds, and you see uh, that Adam uh, was there, and God brought all of the animals to him, and he named all the animals and became very obvious to Adam that he didn't have a companion that was suitable for him. And so God creates Eve out of Adam, and she becomes his wife. And so you have a man who's a husband, you have a woman who is a wife, and they were not ashamed in their nakedness. But then chapter 3 opens up. And we call this the fall, but let's think about it a little farther. It's Satan's deceptive temptation. Satan's deceptive temptation and the choice and the curses of sin. See, this is what God set up in the garden there. In all of the life that was created, he also put Adam and Eve in a position of choice. They were created in the image of God. Does that mean that God makes choices? Yes. God is all about life. Life in this world, but also, more importantly, eternal life. And God makes choices. And you and I, created in that unique image of God, are also given the ability to make choices. But you wonder, why did he do that? He made it so perfect, so, so incredibly wonderful and perfect in every possible way. And Adam and Eve could have went on and, and created all of the rest of humanity. And everything could have been perfect. We'd just been happy servants of God. So this scene unfolds. And Satan comes to Eve. And he appeals to her reason and to the things that she desires. And she wonders, and maybe Adam and Eve both wondered this, is, is, has God been keeping something from us? See, this is, how, this is how quickly Satan is able to penetrate in and to throw a temptation in front of you to make you question what God is doing. Maybe God's just kind of has kept something away from us. Wouldn't that be amazing to be like God and to know good and evil, whatever evil is, but to know it. They didn't know what evil was. But Satan appealed. To those things and then Adam and Eve both decided they chose to devour the very thing that God told them not to eat there was a choice when God came into the garden 
And it becomes obvious to us that this garden was so special that God had daily or maybe continually walked with them in the garden. And he came into the garden. He couldn't see Adam and Eve. And he says, where are you? What a question that is. What a first step to repentance that is. When God comes to us and says, where are you? Think about it. What just, what's, what's going on? What happened? And, of course, Adam immediately blames Eve, and Eve, Eve blames the, the serpent. And the consequences and the, the curses of sin are laid out upon the man, upon the earth, upon the woman, upon childbirth, upon the serpent, Satan himself. But we have to, we have to continue to ask, why did God put Adam and Eve in that position? That they even could make that choice. You'll notice another phrase here. If I don't get, get to this sometime at the end, if I start to go to announcements or something, you raise your hand and make sure I come back to this. Anyway, we'll come back to that. But why did God put them in that position where they could make a right or a wrong decision? The simple answer is that God wants us to choose life and to choose him. The next scene that unfolds there in chapter 3 is the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And you have to wonder what Adam and Eve were going through. In their desperate reluctance to leave the presence of the Lord. And it's not lost on us that in other places in the scripture it talks about those who ran away from the presence of the Lord or who, who were not who went, aw went away like Jonah, fled the presence of the Lord. And here was Adam and Eve was driven out, driven away, taken out and go out into the cursed world away from the presence of the Lord. And cherubims were set up there at the entry into that garden. And there was a sword that turns in every direction continually. And what was the reason for the, those guards and for that sword? It was to call, it's a, if you read it there, it says to keep the way of the tree of life. You'll notice in the passage that, that Clem read, the beginning here in chapter 22 of Revelation, it talks about the tree of life again. This, life come, this tree of life comes back, or has always been there, but it comes back into God's plans for life. But at this point, <coughs> And, the, and the, the discussion is there. Now they know good and evil. And to protect them, to keep them away from the tree of life, they need to be put out. That kind of sets the ground rules for the rest of history, doesn't it? That puts us into a position because we all inherited through Adam and Eve that sin nature. But we also know, and it tells us this in the New Testament, that before the foundation of the world was laid, Jesus Christ was slain as a lamb for you and I. God's plans for salvation 
from the very beginning, before that time was even open, before created world was started and men and women were created, and any of that was done, Jesus had already been slain as a lamb for you and I. These are things that just go way beyond our ability to understand. But God is pro-life and he's pro-choice. And he didn't make us robots. He didn't make us, put us into a place where we're just going to be in eternal bliss. Because he wants us to make a choice. Absolutely, God is pro-life, eternity in heaven, eternal life is what God has promised to us, but he so wants us to make that choice to be with him. I want to share a few simple verses with you. You don't need to turn to these because they're real short and I have them written down here, but I just want to share this because there's some other things that are said in the Bible about this. In John 3.16, you all can say this, but let's think about what it says there. For God so loved the world. That was God's motivation. That was God's motivation in creating this world, is creating this living place where living people could be because God so loved the people of the world that he made it a, a special place to be inhabited. And then it goes on and says that he gave his only begotten son. That was God's provision for sin. Provision to, to relieve us and to, so that we could have forgiveness and so that we could have eternal life. And that provision was made through Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world was laid. And the next phrase in John 3, 16, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. But right there is the choice, isn't it? Belief is not automatic. Faith is not automatic. God laid all the things that were needed for you and I to have eternal life out. Because of his love, he sent his only son into this world. And it says that whoever believes on him will not perish, which means you'll have life. And the next phrase simply is, that, but and have everlasting life. That's what the issue is all about. That God so loved you and I, so loved people, that he provided everything through Jesus Christ that we would need to have eternal life. But it comes down to a choice. It also tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says this. This is Moses speaking to Israel. It's a very fascinating scene, and it goes on for quite a few verses there. But Moses talking to Israel in verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. what was started in, in Genesis is continuing through the lives of Israel and all of those people and all the traumatic things that they went through and the ups and downs and the, 
and the kings and the, and the deliverers and the judges, and we're studying these things in our Sunday school lessons right now, uh, the, the people's emotion, emotions and feelings and their, their integrity before God just went up and down all the time. But this one place, Moses looks at, and I lay it out before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, because it was a choice then too. It's the same ground rules going right up through into the New Testament, right into our lives today. God is putting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. What are you going to do with it? It's always a choice. In Matthew chapter 7, <coughs> Jesus is talking about the wide gate and the broad way. He says that it's a way to destruction, and many will go there. But he's telling us to take the straight way and the narrow gate. And there's very few that are going to find it. But that way, it says, leads to life. It's an eternal choice that we must make. In John chapter 6, Jesus spends uh, the second half of that whole chapter was recorded to us as he's describing himself as the bread of life and describes how he needs to be eaten. And his, his life, his blood, his body was given, broken, and bled out for us as he is the bread of life. John 11, Jesus is speaking to Martha and tells her, I am the resurrection and the life, and that believing on him will lead to life. See, this issue never went away, that God is life. God is all about eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus personified life. calls us to make a decision about him. John 14, <coughs> Jesus talking to his 12 disciples, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's a choice. Jesus is the way to everlasting life. He is the truth about it, and he personifies life itself. And no one will go to heaven, and no one will come to the Father except through the choice that you make about Jesus Christ. If you study the entire book of Revelation, there's a number of references. I'm just going to list them out to you because it's fascinating because this theme is so per pervasive in the book of Revelation. It talks about the tree of life several, several times. But that same tree, that same tree of life that God had placed there at the beginning in the Garden of Eden shows up in heaven. The tree of life is mentioned. The crown of life is mentioned. The book of life is mentioned at least four times. The spirit of life. The fountain of the water of life. The land's book of life. The river of water of life. And the tree of life that's rooted in on both sides of that river of life that's flowing out of the throne of God. And it talks about there also in that last chapter that they that have the right to the tree of life. Who has the right to the tree of life? Who has access to the tree of life, to eternal life? It's those that have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have made that choice, that decision. It is a decision. Can we save ourselves? No. But God says, here it is, life or death, blessing and cursing choose life. It's a choice we all 
must make. Let's close in, in Romans chapter 8 in a few verses here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 at verse 29. And we could read a lot of portions of this, but let's just look at a couple of verses here. It says in verse 29 of chapter 8, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember how we were created in the image of God. And this is still God's intention that we are to be conformed unto his image. And he has a predestination in mind for everyone. I have a very simple understanding of predestination. It was God's intention that every person that ever lands on this earth would be in eternity in heaven. That's God's predestination for you and I. That is his intention. The problem is he doesn't always give his way. Now, God may disagree with that little statement. That's just, I didn't get that out of the text anyway. <laughs> I, I actually read it in a letter from a pastor and that uh, sent this to us. And I, he was looking at a same, same verse that I was looking at here too. <clears throat> and he said, what come across his mind is that God doesn't always get his way. It's God's will that everyone would be with him in heaven. That's his purpose. That's his will. I want to also share with you a couple of verses here <coughs> that I meant to earlier, but I, let's share it again. This uh, was mentioned on the bulletin. You may have seen this. Two verses in the New Testament about God's will. Matthew 18, 14, it says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Now, it's written in a negative sense that it's not the will, but what it's saying is it is the will of the Father that every one of these little ones would have everlasting life. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. It's absolutely God's will that no one would perish. But the verse says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. That's God's predestination for you and I. It's his desire. It's his love affair with people. It's not his will that anyone would miss that. Unfortunately, sometimes God doesn't give his way, his will, for you and I. Because when that choice is laid in front of us, we choose to go our own way. Say, I don't need God. I'm just perfectly happy to have everything that I have in my life. And I have my goals. I've got my vocation. I've got this, 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 and this. And everything that forms my life, I don't really need anything over there that God says I need. Because I'm just content to live this life. And what does the Bible say about that life? It will be destroyed. <laughs> Every one of us are going to be put into this question. Let's go back now to Romans here. Because <clears throat> it says here in verse 29, I'll, I'll read this again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, we have to stop right there. 
First of all, it's God's will that every man, woman, and child would be with him forever. So that's his predestination. That's his will. It says that whoever he predestinated, then he calls them. And we have to stop there in the reading. Because at the point of the call is, is the choice. The Holy Spirit calls us. God calls us. The scriptures call us. It's God's perfect will that everybody would be with him in heaven. And that call comes. A choice has to be made. And for many of us here, we know exactly what that was like. We know what that question was like. We know what that time was like. We can think back to that moment when that choice came. And we yielded ourselves and we surrendered ourselves. We surrendered our will to God. Said, Lord, I can't do it on my own. The things that I think I can do to save myself are never going to make it because there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. And you yield yourself and give that, make that choice for life. But the verse goes on. So that if you that call comes to you and you've received that call, then he then he also justifies. That's when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to you. And when God looks at you now in eternity in judgment. He doesn't see you as to who you are. He sees Jesus Christ. That's what being justified means. Jesus Christ standing in your place in front of you, and God looks at Jesus to see you. And it goes on. After justification, then he also glorifies. God is pro-life. God is pro-glory. God is looking to something way beyond this little opening we called time. Because he's going to bring time to a close. And there's so much more of life to go on beyond this little temporal thing that we call life here. God wants to justify us. Have Jesus stand in our place, but then he, his desire is to glorify us. It depends on that choice that you make. Is the Holy Spirit talking to you today? Or has been for a while? I know that that happens. I know it's a churning in your soul. Because you know what you should do. You've, you've grown up. You know the scriptures. You know what the Bible says. But you also have you have this, uh, this deceptive temptation that is rolling over top of you continually that wants you to go your own way. But Jesus is calling you. We'd like to have an invitation hymn. And we'd like to invite you to stand up and come up here and sit in one of these front seats. We'd like to talk to you. Because our God is all about life and about the choice that you're going to. And it may be a struggle. It may be a fight. And me and some others would love to talk to you. Let's have an invitation hymn.